Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And as you're opening your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7, I want to share this with you. Uh, We are actually shifting from the ark of God to the ministry of Samuel. And for those of you that have been with us, you know, for the last uh, three weeks, we've actually, we haven't really seen Samuel, Samuel on the pages of the Bible. And so we know that it started with Hannah and, uh, and the baby that she prayed for, which was Samuel. And then we, we actually come now to, to the place of seeing Samuel grown up, seeing Samuel uh, just, just uh, doing what he had been called to do by God. And so as he returns to the pages of 1 Samuel, we're going to see Samuel now as a judge as well as a spiritual leader. And it's awesome to see the leadership of Samuel, to see the leadership of Samuel just being played out. And I want you to understand one thing about the anointed leaders of God. Every single leader that God has anointed has the purpose of pointing each and every one of you to Christ. See, and this is what we're going to see Samuel today doing. He's going to be pointing and, 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 just, and just putting back the eyes of, of the people back on Christ. And this is an important truth for us to realize, is that no anointed leader can save you. I want you to know that. There is no leader that can save you. There is no leader that can deliver you. There is no leader that can free you. There is no leader that can ever give you victory. The only one that can do this is God Himself. And as we think about this, right, as we're speaking on victory, what's amazing about this chapter is that God is going to give us some insight on victory and the choice that we have to make to walk in victory. And that is the title of today's message, The Choice for Victory. And so with that, let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 7, and then we'll expound on the on the verses and uh, as as the Lord just wants to speak to us about victory. If we want to experience victory, these are the choi- this is the choice that we're going to have to make. So it says here, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then the men of Kirjoth, Jearim, came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjoth, and a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve Him only, and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals, and the Ashtoreths, and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said, There, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the Lord of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. 
And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah, Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also there was peace between Israel and the Amorites, and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there, There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. You know, I want to remind you really of what's been going on here. I want to share this with you, that the Ark of the Covenant, remember, this is where the Ten Commandments were. As a reminder, remember, they had built this Ark, I mean, this this Ark of the Covenant, right? And on the Ark of the Covenant, on both sides, they had cherubim angels, these amazing angels that are right now in the throne room of God. And we know that in the middle was, was uh, the mercy seat. And that symbolized the throne of God. And this is what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. And inside the Ark, remember, they had this. They had the Ten Commandments. They had the jar of manna, which was a bread from heaven. And then they had Aaron's uh, rod, which budded to symbolize who God had chosen to lead Israel. And so what happened is that the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. They were in a battle with the Israelites. Remember, the Philistines were, were just these enemies of Israel. They were on, constantly a thorn on their side, right? And they were constantly afflicting the people of Israel. And so what happened is they went to battle, and so they captured the Ark of the Covenant. And when they captured the Ark of the Covenant, they thought that they had conquered God, and, and, and they did conquer the people of God, but they thought that they also conquered God. And so when they took the Ark of the Covenant back to their cities, they went there thinking that, you know what, that they were all, you know what, that they were all powerful, right? And their God, Dagon, had defeated our God, the true and the living God. And so what God decides to do is He brings judgment upon the Philistines. And the first city that He went to, He brought forth these tumors and He brought destruction. So they said, hey, we don't want this Ark here anymore. So they took it to another city. And the same thing happened, right? The same thing happened as far as, as tumors and destruction. And so they said, you know what? In all of, they took it to three cities and they said, we don't want it here anymore. And so what they did is they, they sent it back to Israel. And when they sent it back to Israel, it went to Israel's city called Beth Shemesh. And so what happened there is that the people of Israel from Beth Shemesh, they decided to look inside the ark. And that was a no-no. No one was ever to open the ark and to look at what's inside of it. 
And so what God did is he brought death. He kills all of those that looked inside of the ark. That was a, a command that God gave through Moses. Don't let anyone look inside of it. Don't let anyone touch it. No one could touch the ark. Anyone that would touch it or look into it were, to, were, were going to be killed. And so this is what happened. 50,700 men is what is recorded that died. And so this is where we're at now, right? As, as they had it in, in Beth Shemesh, and the people of Beth Shemesh said, with all of our men that died, we want the ark out of our city. And so what they do is they take it from Beth Shemesh, they take it to another Jewish city called Jeroth Jerim. Okay? And so that's Jerim. And that's where, where we're at today. So with that, let's go ahead and now read it verse by verse and expound on these scriptures to see what God has to share with us about victory. I'm going to ask one of the ushers, I think the lights are dim. Can you go back and turn them all on? Because I think, there we go. I want you guys to read your Bibles, otherwise you're going to be, get blind like me. And so, let's go ahead and read beginning in verse 1. It says, Then the men of Kirjoth Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eliezer's son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjoth Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. I'm going to share with you a couple of things here. When it talks about the men of the city, right? The men of the city took the ark, and they, or they sent the ark there to, to Kirjath Jermin, and it, and it was there, right? They brought it there. They brought it to, the, to, to this city. And they brought it to the house of Abinadab. When we think about Abim, Abimadad, right? Who is Abimadad? We really don't know anything about <coughs> Abimadad. The only thing that we know about Abinadab is the fact that he would have been a Levite priest. And he had a son named Eliezer, as it says there, right? And it tells us that they consecrated him. In other words, what they had to do with him to be able to handle the ark, to be able to care for the ark, to be able to guard the ark, he had to be ceremonially cleansed by washings and sacrifices. Remember, he became now a priest that was in charge of the ark. And we know what happened at Beth Shemesh, right? Everyone was handling the ark, and what happened to them? They were killed. So Eleazar's responsibility was to protect the ark. And he didn't want it falling in anyone's hands. And so he wanted to make sure that it was properly cared for. Imagine if you're Eliezer yourself, and you're thinking, oh man, I'm the one that's now in charge of this ark. I better be right, right? Otherwise, I'm going to be gone just like these other men that didn't care for it quickly. But we know one thing is that he did care for it the way it needed to be cared for. And the Bible tells us that it stood there for 20 years. I want to share this with you. Actually, it stood there more for more than 20 years. Why the writer says that it was there 20 years is to show us that after 20 years, this is when Samuel begins his office, begins his ministry, his public office. So you know how long it lasted in Kirjoth, Jearim. It was there for about 100 years. It wasn't until King David, and we all know King David, right? Once he became king, one of the first things that he did is he brought the ark of God back to Jerusalem. 
And so that's what happened, right? That's what happened. And so it was actually there for about a hundred years. But what's interesting here is a statement that is made. And this is where we're going to begin talking about victory. It talks about the fact that the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Okay? What does it mean that they lamented after the Lord? What this means is that they sought the Lord with a great humility. And I want you to know this is that when I came to the Lord, I was seeking God. I needed God. I needed Him. And how many of us, when we came to know God, we were beat up by sin? I think most of us, right? We were just, we were just in a place that we were just enslaved to sin. We were in chains to sin. And so what we did is we humbled ourselves, right? We came to God, searching for God in great humility. And I remember when I came looking for God, I had great sorrow, I had great remorse because of my sin. And this is what God, this is what the Israelites had. They were seeking God with great humility. They lamented after the Lord. They were humbling themselves after the Lord. See, they knew their sin and they knew how bad their sin was. And now they were remorseful because of their sin. And look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. And this is what speaks to us, right? For this happened to us. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. But godly sorrow, as it says, produces repentance, leading to salvation. Many of us that are here, if you've surrendered yourself to the Lord, you were in this place, right? You had a place of uh, of great sorrow which produced repentance, which led to salvation. You were sorrowful because... Of the sins that you did. You were sad because of all the things that that your sin brought upon your life. As well as yourself being enslaved and chained to sin. And so verse 3 tells us this. It says, And Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel. If you return to the Lord with all your hearts. Then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you. And prepare your hearts for the Lord. And serve Him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Before I get into what brings us victory, the choice for victory, I want to talk about Samuel. See, Samuel comes onto the scene, right? We haven't heard about Samuel since he was a little baby. And you remember how we talked about how Hannah would bring the ephod, the little baby ephods, right? The priestly garment. She would make priestly garments for Samuel because he was a priest, right? And she would bring it to Samuel and he would, she would give him the ephods. While now Samuel is a grown man and for the last 20 years, it's been silent about Samuel. Just like Jesus. Remember when it came to Jesus, when Jesus began his ministry, we didn't, we didn't hear about Jesus for the first, uh, you know, after he was a child, maybe two, or th- two to three years old, two to four years old, right? From there until he became a man, until he was 30 years old, I should say, we didn't hear about him. What we did hear was when he was 12 years old, we just heard one thing about him, but it was silence about Jesus for all that time. The same thing with Samuel. There was silence about Samuel, who would judge, who would be their spiritual leader. There was silence about him. And so when he comes onto the scene, he comes with a great word for Israel. And this is the same Word that He has for us, that the Lord has for us. And it's going to speak on victory. I want you to know this. 
Samuel wanted the people to experience victory, just like the Lord wants each and every one of us to experience victory. And victory can only be experienced if we make a choice to do certain things. See, we have the choice to do certain things, and God is going to explain to us today, these choices that you make will give you victory in life. And this is the insight that God has for us today. See, I'm going to give you today, I believe they were seven points. I'm going to give you seven points today that will help us experience victory in our Christian lives. Whether you're backslidden or whether you've never accepted the Lord, if you want to experience victory, He's going to give us the points. Okay, God is going to give us these points. And the first point that He's going to give us is, one, victory comes if we give our hearts to the Lord. See, this is what Samuel was telling the people, right? He said there in verse 3, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts. See, if you want to experience victory, it comes when you give your heart to the Lord. And this is what's so amazing is that, see, it all starts with this, right? It starts with a surrendered life to Jesus Christ. This is the only way that we can experience victory in this life. And this is why it tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. See, this is what's so amazing, right? Many times we're trying to experience victory and we're trying to walk in victory. And we're thinking that we got to do this and we got to do that, right? And in reality, it all starts by faith. Faith brings the victory that we need. And this is what, what, what's, so, uh, what's so amazing because there are so many people that get worked up into trying to experience victory. And little do they know that their decision is a decision of choice. And this choice that we're talking about is faith. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will see that you will automatically have victory. And this is the victory that it experience. And this is the victory that the Word of God tells us that overcomes the world. And it is faith. As we see here, these people had departed from God. And the people of Israel, as they departed from God, I want you to know this, that they found themselves captive. They found themselves captive to the Philistines. They found themselves afflicted and oppressed by the enemy. And this is what happens to us. I want you to know this, is that prior to Jesus Christ, prior to placing your faith in the Lord, you and I are somehow in chains, right? In chains to some sort of sin. Whether it be, whether it be anger, whether it be jealousy, whether it be uh, fornication, whether it be hate, whether it be, you know what, uh, you know what, alcohol, whether it be drugs, whatever you, whatever you have, whatever you're in, whatever chains you have, this is how, this is what we are before we come to know Christ. And what happens many times is that, and for those of you that have backslidden in any time of your life, you automatically see yourself going back to these things. And you automatically see yourself being once again enchained, enslaved to these things. And this is where Israel was. Israel had experienced the freedom that comes through Christ, the victory in Christ, and yet they come back to a place of, ex of experiencing, once again, 
oppression, once again captivity, once again affliction. And the enemy that they had were the Philistines. And I want, to, I want us all to know this, is that we live in a world that makes itself very attractive. And the world is constantly calling at us, right? The world is constantly inviting us to follow its ways. And we know that it is so attractive that we find ourselves sometimes longing for the world. We also know that we have another enemy. And the other enemy that we have is our flesh. The cravings of our flesh are so powerful. They are so powerful that, that you know what, that, that we find ourselves sometimes just doing the things that our flesh wants us to do. And I want to share this with you. If we give control to these powerful enemies, we will see ourselves in a backslidden state, or we see ourselves prior to Christ being, what? Back enslaved and in chains to these things. And so the first thing that Samuel told them, which was the first way to experience victory, is is really to give your heart to the Lord. And he tells them to return to Him with all of their hearts. In other words, I want you to know this. In other words, their hearts were now given over to other things. See, many times we always say that, you know what, that someone stole my heart away. No one can ever steal your heart away. What happens here is that you give your heart over to someone else. You allow your your heart to be given to someone else. You allow it to be replaced by another thing. See, the only way someone gets your heart is by giving it to them. And this is our choice that we make, right? No one steals our heart away. We give our heart to someone else. We give it to them. We allow someone to grab a hold of our hearts. And we give our hearts to them. And, 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 and this is what happens to us, right? And what can grab our hearts? Let's talk about this, right? What can grab your heart? What can grab my heart? What can grab our hearts is, is like money, right? When we're looking for money, when we're, when we're constantly, you know what, when we're thinking about money, when we're thinking about, you know what, if this is all that consumes your mind, this is, this is what's going to, this is what you're giving your heart over to. What about our houses? Our houses can easily become what? The priority in our lives. The same thing cars, right? When we're so consumed with a car. How many of you are constantly thinking about a car? Or constantly thinking about your car, what I could do next to, to the car? What about power, right? Wanting to have prestige and power. Wanting to be over people. What about our spouses, right? If, if we're just constantly thinking about satisfying our spouse and not satisfying God or not making God a priority, that can steal our hearts away too. See, God needs to be number one. What about friends or, or non-believers, right, that we're constantly thinking about that we want to hang out with? I want you to know this. The one that you give your heart to is the one that you think of most in your heart. The one that you give your heart to is the one that you think of most in your heart. And this is important because, see, whoever you're thinking about most in your heart is, is who you're surrendered to. And see, as we think about this, right, this is who has our heart. The one that we're thinking about most. Are you thinking about God throughout the day or are you thinking most about these other things? Whatever your heart is consumed with, that's who has your heart. And we must realize this, right? And this is why the Lord is saying, give me your heart. Meditate on me all day long, right? Pray to me on a daily, I mean, pray with me, pray to me without ceasing. 
In other words, from time, uh, whenever you think of me, just, I mean, just make sure that I don't lose a place in your heart. Have me, you know, on the tablets of your heart. And that's where God wants us to be. See, the Jews, right? The Jews had made a decision. They had allowed other things to, uh, they had given their hearts over to other things. See, they gave their hearts to foreign gods. And this is what we are reading there, right? He told them, put away your foreign gods and the asterisks from among you. Remember, there were three main deities there in the land of Canaan. There was Dagon, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. This was the god of, of harvest and the god of fertility, the god of reproduction. We also know that there was another god named Baal. And this god, Baal, was actually a great god, right? This was the greatest god. And this was actually the son of Dagon. And he was a god of thunder and rain. And then you had Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was a goddess of both love and war. And so these were the gods that the Israelites were constantly allowing them to, allowing them to consume them. And so what happened here is that God says, you know what? He asked the people, He says, you know what? I want you to return to the Lord and put away these foreign gods. And then the second point that I want to talk about, where He says there, prepare your hearts for the Lord. Okay? Victory comes, point number two, when you humble yourselves. And this is a very important point, and I want to, I want to talk about this. See, because Samuel is telling the people, right, to prepare their hearts. What does he mean by this? Look at what James chapter 4, beginning in verse 8 says. It says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. This is from James chapter 4 beginning in verse 8 through verse 10. When we used to practice sin, how many of you would rejoice in your sin? I think every single one of us would rejoice in it, right? We'd enjoy it. We'd, we'd have fun with it. We'd even brag about it with our friends. And so all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to grab a hold of you. He begins to convict you. And then all of a sudden, you begin to feel remorse, right? And you begin to get tired of this sin. And, and you know that you're tired of it and you're enslaved to it and you're held captive by it that you no longer want it. And you're beginning to open yourself up to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then you begin to draw closer to the Lord. And then you find yourself no longer rejoicing in your sin. And this is what James, when he says there, that your laughter of sin has been turned to mourning. So you're now mourning over your sin. You're no longer enjoying it. I remember when I was in the world, I used to brag about the sins that I used to do. I used to, I used to just brag to my friends. I used to talk about the things that I was doing. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, you know what? Your laughter of sin has been turned now to mourning. And your joy of sin is now a mourning of your sin. It is now a gloom. It's no longer that joy that you once had. And so as James tells us, he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. We are to humble ourselves. And what does God do? God lifts you up. 
God gives you that victory. See, when you look at these people, right? When you look at what Samuel was asking them to do, he was asking them to seek the Lord with great humility. He was telling them to prepare their hearts to make them ready. As we think about this, right? As we think about our own lives. You know what? I remember when I finally went to church, right? And I finally allowed myself to come to a, a, a Bible teaching church, right? Because I was being invited to these places. And I remember where my life was. My life wasn't where, where it should have been, right? I, I knew that I needed the Lord and I knew that I needed to turn from sin. I was tired of it and I, I didn't like what sin brought upon my life. My relationship with my wife was not where it should have been. I know that my job was in jeopardy too, right, where I worked. And I remember everything around me was just falling apart and I was thinking to myself, you know what, I need change. And I remember I heard, I was, I was with some relatives of mine and they were talking about Jesus and, the, and I was allowing the Holy Spirit now to convict me, right? I was tired of sin and I was allowing Him to speak to me. And I remember asking my, my brother-in-law, I said, what church do you go to? And he tells me, he says, I go to Calvary Chapel Montebello. And I remember I said, you know what, that's where I, you know what, I need, I want to go. And he says, I'll go with you. I said, no, I don't want you to come with me. I want to go by myself. I want to, I want to go, right? I was, I was allowing, I was preparing my heart for God. And I remember when I got there, right, I remember hearing the word being preached. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this is amazing. And I was allowing myself to be prepared for what I was about to do. I was preparing my heart to give it to the Lord. And I remember I finally humbled myself and I asked God to forgive me. And this is what leads now to another point here. As we go through the verse, right? As we go through verse 3, he talks about serving Him only. In verse 3 it says, or Samuel says, you must serve Him only. Point number three is that victory comes when we serve Him only. And I want to talk about this because this is important for us to know. Because there's many times when we come to know the Lord, when we surrender ourselves to God, we're not serving Him only. We still have other things, right, that we don't want to put away. We still have other things that we're saying to ourselves, you know what, Lord, yes, I'm going to surrender myself to You, but there's these other things that I'm still going to keep, that I'm still going to allow to reign in me. I'm not going to be fully surrendered to You, even though I'm saying that I am, because I'm not giving these things up. And this is what God wants us to do. He wants to make sure that our hearts are completely surrendered to Him, that they're serving Him only. I want to give you a scripture from Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, come now, therefore from now on you shall have wars." What I want to stress to you is what he said there in the beginning of the verse. Where he says, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Imagine this. The Lord is saying to you that if you serve him only, if your hearts are loyal to him, if your allegiance is, him to, him, is, if your allegiance is to him only, then God will show himself strong through you. This is what's an amazing promise. And I remember hearing this verse. And I remember how it impacted me. Because I remember thinking to myself, you know what? If my heart is loyal to the Lord, 
then God will show Himself strong through me. This is His promise. This isn't something that is just out there. This is a promise that God gives to us. And I remember when I came, came to know the Lord, when I surrendered myself to Him, I remember when I, that I purposed in my heart to serve Him only. Yes, I was a work in progress. Yet, yes, I wasn't purpose. I mean, perfect. But I know one thing is that I had a purpose in my heart, which was to serve Him only. And I remember I made a decision. I said, you know what? I'm not going to party anymore. I'm not going to allow the lust of my eyes to go to, to commit sin anymore. I'm not going to allow myself to, to go after other things. I'm going to purpose in my heart to make myself loyal to Him. And as we think about this, I want you to know this, that those who honor the Lord, He will honor. And I remember how God immediately began to use me powerfully when I surrendered myself to the Lord. I remember it was something that I had never experienced, but I was so excited that I surrendered myself to the Lord and that God was willing to forgive me of my sin, to extend mercy, to extend grace, that I wanted to share God with everyone. And I remember when I would be driving, right? And this was early on in my faith, right? When I had surrendered myself to the Lord, I was just sharing Jesus with everybody. I remember picking up people on the bus stops, right? I remember parking my car along the side and just sharing Jesus with them. And I was just so excited about God and I was just sharing Jesus and people were coming to know the Lord. People were surrendering themselves to Him. And I remember that the desires that I had before I knew Christ were going away, right? I had control over them. I had power over them. They were His power. And I was thinking, man, the faith that I placed in Christ, this is real. It's not, it's not a fake. This is the real deal. And I knew that all that I was experiencing only came from God. It was not from me. It was only from God because I could not do this before. Look at what God says here in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It says there, but now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. Imagine that. This is the Lord speaking. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. See, victory is experienced when we make our hearts loyal to Him. See, the one that you are surrendered to the one that you surrender your life to, He will give you victory. And whatever enemies we have, God delivers us from them. You know what? If your enemy is drugs, God will deliver you from those chains. If it's alcohol, God will deliver you from those chains. If it's anger, God will set you free. If it's jealousy, God will deliver you. If it's uncontrollable lust, God will deliver you. We know we have one enemy, and this enemy is called sin and death. It's the grim, grim reaper, right? We know that, that skeleton, right, with that, with that sickle that he has. The Bible tells us this important truth in Romans 7, verse 24 to 25, where it says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? He's the only one that can do this. And this is what the Lord is saying here. Let's go to verse 4 and see what He says. It says, So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths 
and serve the Lord only. You know, Samuel sees the opportunity. And I want you to know this, that the Spirit of God was moving through Samuel. We know that the Spirit of God fell upon Samuel as, 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 he, was, as, as he was a young man. As, as he, you know what, as he surrendered himself to the Lord, we know that the Spirit of God was, was dwelling with Samuel. And now that he's older, he's seizing the opportunity and he followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I want to share this with you. See, as the people responded, they responded because Samuel was speaking truth. Samuel was being led by the Spirit of God. And I want to share, as I've been talking about, just when I share with people, right? There's times when, when I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to have me talk about certain things, right? To have me share things with people. See, I'm being sensitive to the Spirit of God. Just like many of you. How many of you have experienced the same thing? When the Spirit of God just, just speaks to you and you begin to share the words that He wants you to speak. And all of a sudden the people respond. See, it's not you that's speaking. I want you to know who speaks through you. It's the Spirit of God. And that's who wants to speak through all of us, right? But are we sensitive to His voice? Are we listening to the voice of God? Are we allowing God to speak through us? As we see here, the people responded, right? They put away the asterisks. They put away the bales. And they began to serve the Lord only. Verse 5 goes on to say, And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. We see here the, that Samuel is asking the people of Israel, right? He's telling them, I want us all to gather at Mizpah. And when, when we gather there, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray to the Lord for all of you. And it says that he was going to intercede for their behalf, right? And so they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. Why would they draw water, right? I mean, do you find that interesting that they would gather water and they would pour it before the Lord? What does that mean? You know, as we look at this, right, as we think about this, right, what does it mean to pour it out before the Lord? I want to give you some insight here. And it's from Psalm 22, verse 14, where it tells us, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it has melted within me. What the psalmist was trying to say here is that he is pouring out his heart. And he's pouring out his heart like water. And this is what we do. I want you to know this. When we pour out our hearts to the Lord, right? When we come to the Lord asking Him for forgiveness, when we're repenting of our sins, that's what we do, right? We pour out our heart like water. We, we allow our heart and our sins to just flow out like water. And this is what they were doing, right? They were allowing their, you know what, their, 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 their sins. They were just pouring out their heart like water before the Lord. And then, what, is, uh, what, what, is, uh, what does Samuel say that they did? It says there, at the end of, or in the middle here of this verse, it says there, and they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. There in verse 6. I want you to know this. The fourth point 
on victory is that victory will come through fasting. See, this is something that not many people do. And I know that I've been talking about fasting quite often. And I've been asking, I've been sharing with you as a, as a church body how important it is to fast. And I want you to know this, that many people forget about fasting. Many people don't even know about fasting. But I want you to know this, that some things don't go away with just prayer. How many of us have experienced that, right? Where we're praying and praying and, and things don't take place, things aren't happening. You know, whatever oppression I have, whatever illness I have, whatever overwhelming situation that I may be experiencing, nothing is happening. And I'm praying and people are praying for me. And yet, there's no victory in that. I want to share with you what Jesus said. And He said this in Matthew 17, beginning here in verse 14. He says there, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to Him, kneeling down to Him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they cannot cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and he came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Do you see how important fasting is? There are certain times that, 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 you know what, that we're praying and things aren't happening and, and the church is praying for you and yet you still experience the same issues, the same problem, the same affliction, the same oppression. And yet, we think that, you know what, there's, it, this just isn't going to go away. Well, I want you to know God wants us to fast. God wants us to fast. God wants us to, to know that, you know what, that, that things do happen when you fast. See, when we say to the Lord, you know what, I just want to empty myself of me. And I want to allow you to just overflow from you. I want you to just overtake me. I want more of you and less of me. God seems to honor it. God seems to honor fasting. And we know one thing about fasting is that He makes us so strong through fasting. Do you remember when Jesus fasted? He fasted for 40 days. Remember that? After He was baptized, He went into the wilderness and He decided to fast. He fasted for 40 days and the, the devil came and the devil came to tempt Him, right? And He came to tempt Him after He, was fa- after he had fasted. But one thing that we know is that Jesus was, was prepared spiritually, right? He was prepared for this attack. He was prepared for this temptation. And we see that He overcame Him because understand this, that when Jesus subjected Himself to a body, to a physical body, that He subjected Himself to the weakness of the body, but yet He was spiritually strong. He was strong enough to overcome the temptation that came from the devil. And this is what the people did. Remember, they, Samuel asked Him to fast. 
And this is what happens with fasting. We know that we experience victory. Jesus said this. And he goes on to say, And they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel and Mizpah. I want, to, I want you also to know this, that as we read this, as we, as we see here, there's something that took place here after they fasted. And this is point number five. Point number five there is the people said, we have sinned against the Lord. I want you to know this, that victory comes after confession. Point number five is that victory comes after, or that victory comes from confession. And I want to talk about this. If we look at Proverbs 28 verse 13, it says that he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes him will have mercy. And this is a promise from the Lord. He says, if you cover your sin, guess what? You're not going to prosper. It only separates me from you. You're not going to have victory. But if you confess and forsake, then you will have mercy. In other words, God's mercy comes to those who confess. God's grace comes upon those that confess. And let's talk about confession. We know that people sin and, we, and God expects us to come to Him, right? Confessing our sins. Coming to Him by faith, knowing that He is God and, and asking Him that, you know what, that we're sinners. And, and, and so God asks us to come to Him confessing our sins. We know one thing about confession though. Confession doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to stop from doing it. How many of us have kids, right? And the kids that we have, right? You tell them, don't do that anymore. You tell them, don't take what doesn't belong to you. Don't take what's in the, co- the cookies from the cookie jar, right? Don't eat so many sweets. And they said, oh, okay, I won't. And then they eat more, right? And, and they take more, right? And then they say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then you say, okay, don't do it anymore. And they keep doing it and doing it, right? That's confession. But that doesn't help anyone. You know what helps you? Is what it says in Proverbs 28, 13. When you forsake your sin. See, God is looking for repentance. See, confession is part of repentance. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you will forsake it. See, God wants you to admit that you sin. And when you admit that you sin, He wants you to walk away from it. Many times we're not walking away from it, right? We're not turning from our sin. And this is what Isaiah chapter 1 verse 16 says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. This is what it means to forsake your sin. This is what true repentance is. And this is what God is asking of us. Victory comes from this. You cannot experience victory. You cannot experience the mercy and the grace of God because we know one thing about sin. It separates you from God. But when you confess it, and not only confess it, when you forsake it, then you have what? You have the mercies of God that comes upon us. And this is what God wants us to do. And this is why salvation is experienced when we confess with our mouths. But when we believe in our hearts, in other words, we're not going to do it anymore. And so as they confess, it tells us that they put away, they put away their, those, those gods, the asterisks and the bales. 
Let's read in verse 7 and see what it, it goes on to say. It says, Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. I'm going to share this with you. That the Philistines, when they heard that all of the Israelites went to Mizpah, right? They knew that all of the men were there. They probably sensed that, you know what, that, oh man, these guys, there must be some sort of, of revival going on. There must be some sort of, uh, 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 of just, uh, uh, of, of coming together to come against us. And so the Philistines decided to, you know what, let's attack them right now, right? Or they were probably thinking, you know what, we have them all in one location where we can conquer them easily. And we know that the Israelites were afraid. And they knew that the Philistines were coming. That's what it says there in verse 7. That there is a fear that overtook them. And so then this is what happens in verse 8. Look at what they ask of Samuel. It says, So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord, then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. I want you to know, I'm going to give you point number six. To experience victory in this life, it comes through prayer. Okay? It's important that you understand this. Victory in our lives come through prayer. See, this is exactly what Samuel decided to do, right? Samuel decided to do what? He decided to pray to intercede on behalf of the people. And he also not only did that, but he decided to give a sacrifice, a burnt offering on behalf of the people. And then he cries out to the Lord. And then, what does it say there? That he cried out to the Lord and the Lord answered him. One thing about prayer, there is so much power in prayer. And I want you to know this, that we know that God is not subject to obey our prayers, but we know that He has chosen to do so. He has chosen to subject Himself to the cries of His people, to open the windows of heaven and to allow His power to be released through our prayers. I want you to know this, and I'm going to give you a story, an event that happened. And many of you know this, it's about... It's, it's about King Hezekiah and the Assyrians. How many of you are familiar with this? When they surrounded Jerusalem, right? The Assyrians came and they surrounded Jerusalem. And they were ready to conquer Jerusalem. And that's exactly what they were going to do. They were outnumbered. Assyria was a much mightier and greater nation. That Hezekiah just says, you know what? I have nothing else to do but to pray. And one thing about Hezekiah, Hezekiah was known as the praying King. And one thing about King Hezekiah is that God worked powerfully through the prayers of King Hezekiah. Did you know that King Hezekiah was one of those that asked to have his life extended? He prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered that? Not only that, but the one that I want to give you is this. Because as we're talking about the enemies, the enemies of our, of our life, right? I want to share this with you. The victory that he had because of the prayers that he gave to the Lord. And it's from 2 Kings chapter 19. In verse 15, it shows us there how Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. And it says there, And the Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, Hezekiah said, You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. 
and he lays before Hezekiah, I mean, he lays before God the request to save him from the attacks of the Assyrian. And look at how God responds. And this is in verse 20. He sends Isaiah, the son of Amos. He sends him to Hezekiah and he tells him this. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. The Lord is telling King Hezekiah, I heard your prayers. I heard when you prayed to me. And this is what God does after he tells him this. And this is in verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 men. And when the people arose in the morning, they were, there were the corpses all dead. Imagine this. Imagine how powerfully God worked through the prayers of Hezekiah that he destroyed 185,000 mighty soldiers of the Assyrians. He killed them off. And he did this because Hezekiah prayed. I want you to know this, that God releases his power through prayer. And I want you to know this, when you pray, when we pray to God, God is listening. You know what, as long as there is no inequity or sin that you are practicing, God is listening. And I want to share that. If you are not practicing sin, God is listening. But if you are practicing sin, God is not listening. And this is a very important truth that we need to understand. And so as we see here, right, as we see here that Hezekiah prayed and God answered. And I want you all to know that as I've been talking about prayer, for those of you that are coming here on Monday nights, Monday nights are absolutely amazing. What we have been experiencing from God is the power of God being released through the prayers on Monday nights. And I'm only sharing with, uh, this with you because I know that many of you are catching on and there's some of you that aren't and some of you that aren't attending. God's power is being released through our Monday night prayer. God has chosen to extend His grace and His favor upon Monday nights. He has chosen to say, I will release my power through this ministry on Monday nights. People are just experiencing healing. People are experiencing the power of God. This past, this past uh, Monday, we must have had, I mean, and I don't count, but there were probably over 40 people that came here to pray. Prayer must be a pillar of this church, and it is. We have started now a prayer chain. We have started intercessory prayer. We have prayer on, on, uh, uh, during our church services. Prayer must be done in this church if we want to experience the power of God being released through this ministry. And this is what God is showing us today. Victory comes through prayer. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. It says, Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. As Samuel is praying, as Samuel is giving the sacrifice to the Lord, the Philistines were coming to battle, right? And guess what happened? A loud thunder came. The thunder was so loud that it confused the Philistines. I want you to know this, that God works in unconventional ways. God doesn't work in normal ways because if He worked in the normal ways that we would expect, then none of us would say, that came from God. Right? We would all think, oh, it's just by coincidence. 
God always works in unconventional ways and He gives us victory in unconventional ways, in ways that are unexplainable. I have seen God do things in my life that where I know that it's only God that can do this. I've seen God do things in the ministry that only God can do. And they weren't done conventionally, they were done very unconventional. And let me remind you of some of these ways through the ministry, I mean through the, through the Word. Remember how God conquered the enemies in Jericho. What did He tell them to do? March around the city seven days. And then you blow the trumpets and then you give a shout and the walls of Jericho will fall and you will defeat the enemy. Whoever def- who would ever think that marching around seven times and then you, you shout and you blow the trumpets and all of a sudden, guess what? You experience victory. This is unconventional. When you have an army of 300 men, Gideon and his 300 men, <clears throat> defeating an army of 135,000 men, in a very similar fashion. You know what? As they had pictures, right? And they shouted and, and, and they lit up the pictures, right? And all of a sudden, the enemy begins to fight against themselves and they destroy themselves. And Israel has victory. What about King David? Getting a stone and a sling. And coming where? To defeat this mighty warrior that's nine feet, nine inches tall. He's a mighty warrior. Not only is he a giant, but he's a skilled, a skilled soldier. And guess what? David takes a sling and a stone, and what does he do? He defeats the giant. And we know, one final one that I want to share with you is King Jehoshaphat. The same way, the army came against King Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah. And you know what God told him to do? All I want you to do is get your worshipers... And I want them to sing praise songs to me. I want them to sing worship songs. And all of a sudden, when they began to sing worship songs, guess what? Thousands and thousands of the enemy, of the enemy soldiers, were ambushed by the Lord and they were all defeated. Unconventional ways. Why? Because God wants to receive the glory. God wants to receive the honor. And the only way for us to to know that without a doubt is for Him to do it out of the norm. Otherwise, we would all believe that it just happened by coincidence or that we did it. I want to give you the last and final point. And it's point number eight. As you heard, God decided to give His voice, God decided to speak with a thunder to give confusion to the Philistines. I want to give you this. Point number eight is that victory comes through God's Word. And what I mean by this As Romans 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to know this. Victory comes from reading the word of God. Victory comes from the word of God. I want you to know this, in order for you to experience victory in your life, in order for you to have transformation in your life, happening in you, you must allow the Word of God to come in. And the Word of God, how is it that God speaks to us today? He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit, and He speaks to us through His Word, doesn't He? And this Word is alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when we allow the Word to come into our hearts and into our minds, He does a transformation within us. The Word is alive and it reveals the truth of God. 
And it basically just removes the, the blinders of lies. And when we hear the Word of God, and when we experience the Word of God, and as we talk about the Word of God, it increases what? Our faith in God, which gives us the victory that we need. Let's keep reading as we're running out of time. Verse 11 says, And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as Beth Car. See, this is the victory that we're talking about. You know what? As God just, just did all these things and, and brought these points to us, as we experience the victory of God, as, as He shows us the victory of God, we can also experience that same victory. Verse 12 says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen, called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. I want, you, I want to stop here. Samuel placed a stone and he named it Ebenezer, which means the Lord has helped us. I want you to know this. God wants you to remember the victories that he does in your life. This is why Samuel put up that stone, so that the Israelites could remember the victory over their enemies. I want you to know this. Your testimonies of God's victory should not be kept to you alone. You should be sharing them with your children. You should be sharing them with your friends so that they know. And especially your family members so that they can, so that that legacy can be carried on. Whatever victories you have experienced, you should be sharing them with your children. I share the things with my kids, right? So that when I'm gone, they can remember all the things that God did in my life. So that they can share with their children. If the Lord tarries and He doesn't come back, God wants everyone to remember the things that He did. On Mondays, what we did, and this is what, what, what was so amazing. I think this is one of the reasons God has met us here. Or I really don't know. But I know one thing that we started doing is that we started giving testimonies. Because I said, what good is it if God is answering our prayers and no one knows about it? So what we started doing is we started allowing people to give their testimonies of how God has answered prayer, the power of prayer, of how God is moving. And as people are giving testimonies, it's giving glory and honor to the Lord. And we remember these things. And we can share these things with others. As we keep reading, verse 13 goes on to say, So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Ekron, Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Imagine this. The Philistines were subdued during the time of Samuel. Israel re recovered all the lost cities that were conquered by the Philistines. And there was also peace between the Amorites and Israel. And I want to share this with you. The choice, the victory came because of the choice that they made. Because they gave their hearts to the Lord. Because they humbled themselves. Because they decided to serve Him only. Because they fasted. Because they confessed. Because they prayed. Because they heard the Word of God and they listened. This is why they experience victory. And the same victory is for all of us. If we get a hold of these things, you will see the victory that you will experience in this life. It's not easy living in this life, is it? Many of us experience tribulation. 
Many of us experience hardships. There is not one of you that is absent from the hardships of life. We're all the same and we all experience the same thing. But to have victory over it, we have these points to remember, these points to meditate on, these points to chew on, these points to remember. And when you begin to practice these things, you in fact will experience victory. Let's finish these last two, uh, three verses. It says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. He went from place to place judging. He was their spiritual leader. We know that, that, that Samuel was a great prophet. He was a great man of God. And it tells us he always returned to Ramah. You know what Ramah was? Ramah was actually the city of his hometown. This was the city of his parents. This is where he came from. And he would always go back. He always remembered where he came from. And I'm going to give you one final scripture and we're closing with this. And it's from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's close. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for just the things that you have spoken to us today, Lord. You gave us these various points, Lord. And these points, Lord, were given to us so that we can experience victory just like these Israelites at this time experienced victory. But we know that it all started with faith. They made a choice to surrender their hearts to you. They made a choice to make their hearts loyal to you. They made a, church, a, a choice to, to just fast and to pray. They made a choice just to allow you, Lord, to be the God of their lives. They put away all the other gods. They were loyal to you, Lord. And they weren't loyal to anyone else but you. As we know, in our lives, maybe there's certain gods that, that we still haven't put away. Maybe there's certain gods that, that we still go to and, and we still meditate on. And these gods have stolen our hearts from you, Lord. And, and Lord, the only reason they stole it is because we gave it to them to steal. If we're meditating on things and, or people apart from You, if we consume ourselves with these things in our hearts or these people in our hearts, and, then Lord, You're not our God that's reigning. We've allowed, we've given our hearts to others. We've handed them over to someone else. If there's anyone here that wants to return and to give your heart to the Lord, to come to Him by faith and to say, yes, I'm giving you my heart. I'm tired. I'm tired of, of my heart and where it's been and who I've given it to. If this is you and you want to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Is there anyone that wants to do this now? Raise your hand and we will pray for you. 
anyone that wants to come to the Lord, surrender yourself to Him. Anyone wanting to do that now? As the Lord is convicting, as the Lord is speaking, if this is you, humble yourself before the Lord as He said. Humble yourself and He will lift you up. Is there anyone that wants to do this before we close? Anyone that wants to do this? Anyone? 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 Lord, I thank you for the hearts that are here, Lord. The hearts that are loyal to you, Lord. The hearts that are surrendered to you, Lord. I pray that as we heard this message today, Lord, that we would just live these things out, Lord. To give us the victory over this life, Lord. To give us the victory over the enemies of our soul. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We want to give you all glory and honor, Lord, for what you spoke today. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.